listening to The Korean File. I'm Andre Goulet. The Korea File is a monthly podcast exploring Korean society, culture, and politics, and highlighting critical, independent voices you won't find anywhere else. No interview from me today, but I'm really proud to introduce Jeju Views, a new podcast providing snapshots of the global microcosm that is Jeju Island from my friend, talented longtime Jeju resident Anne Bush. Hear her every two weeks interviewing residents on how they navigate the ever-evolving multicultural landscape of one of South Korea's most fascinating destinations. On this episode, Anne interviews performer Galen Whitney about a clash of cultures at a recent performance of the comedy and spoken word production, The Jeju Nights, and how some Yemeni refugees in attendance were not expecting what they experienced. The Korea Files produced and hosted on a volunteer basis, contributing just a few dollars a month at patreon.com slash the Korea File helps to keep the show on the air. Your support helps cover hosting fees and the hours of production that go into creating the show. I depend on listeners like you for support, so please consider becoming a monthly patron by heading over to patreon.com slash the Korea File. Even a couple dollars a month really helps. Thanks a lot to July supporter Ariel Veluzzi. Subscribe to The Korea File on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Our theme music is courtesy of Creative Commons. I'll be back in late August with a new interview. And now, here's Anne and the inaugural episode of Jeju Views. Enjoy it. Before we begin, a little disclaimer. This episode talks about the existence of sex and female genitalia. If you're not into that kind of thing, maybe you should skip this episode and wait for our second. Welcome to Jeju Views, where you get snapshots of the global microcosm that is Jeju Island, South Korea. And I'm your host, Anne Bush, here to give you a unique perspective as an English teacher who has lived here for five years and has dealt with many different sides of Jeju Island. The Korean wave sparked by the huge popularity of K-pop and K-drama has brought much attention to this little country of South Korea. Jeju Island was just a backwoods island not that many years ago. Now, it's blown up into a certifiable global tourist destination with upwards of 15 million people visiting a year. In fact, the most frequented flight route in the whole world is from South Korea's capital Seoul to Jeju, with 250 flights back and forth a day. This once sleepy little island has turned into not so much of a melting pot of cultures, but a tossed salad. I believe that it's especially representative of the modern global world we live in, where it is increasingly easy to travel, but oh so very confusing for all of these different peoples to interact. This week, we're going to talk to my dear friend and fellow English teacher, Galen Whitney. Not long ago, she organized our most recent installment of a Jeju Nights inspired by the Vagina Monologues. If you're not sure what those are, don't worry, I'll fill you in in a minute. We're going to see what happens when Western feminism and Arab culture collide in the most awkward of ways. Imagine a vagina hat-wearing lady on stage and Yemeni refugees in the audience who don't know what they just walked into. Ready, set, go. So, you're my friend Galen. Right. And I'm an English teacher. I'm teaching at the Foreign Language Center. Been here two years and three weeks. Yeah. 
All right, let's just jump in. What I wanted to talk to you about is our performance, Vajayju Nights. What is Vajayju Nights? So strongly inspired by vagina monologues. So we decided to do our own kind of version, which was great. There were some amazing original pieces and then some other ones that are more common vagina monologues. And these were all amateur actors, actresses. This year we only had actresses. Yeah, there were no men and it was mostly other foreigner, westerner, English teachers. We had four Korean performers Mm -hmm. out of 10. Yeah, that's not bad. That's almost 50%. Yeah, yeah. Um, And the whole idea is just to raise money for a charity. And we chose the LGBTQ community in Jeju. Uh, They have a queer festival, queer culture festival once a year, which is still not wonderfully received by the locals. Usually more Christian protesters than... LGBTQ members and allies. So I figured that they are in most need of charity. Um, so can you explain better what the vagina monologues are? Um, yeah. Vagina monologues is kind of a theater piece that is a series of monologues that were written after a woman interviewed 200 women of all shapes, sorts, and sizes. She asked them a range of questions about their vagina, going from serious to ridiculous and absurd. Then from all of her notes from those interviews, she boiled them down into some very poignant monologues, which was Mm. awesome. Just ladies love to talk about their vaginas. (laughs) (laughs) So, are the monologues only about vaginas specifically? No. They are about what it's like to have a vagina, sometimes about sexuality. A lot of it is about experience being a woman. There's a couple that are about uh, rape or abuse or beauty standards that have really kind of fucked with someone's head and shaped them as a person. And then there's some really funny ones. So yeah, like if you don't know what the vagina monologues is, go check it out. Mm-hmm. I'm amazed all the time at people who don't know vagina monologues. Again, one of those things that I thought was like common knowledge, check. It turns out it's not, even yeah. from people from the West. If you can figure out how to, you know, perform them in the right way, do it. And I love the idea that we've got more original pieces yeah. like, to do our own original thing where we still always will give credit to the groundbreaking work that was vagina monologues. Yeah. But if people have got their own stories, you Tell know. Them. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So can you set the scene for the night, like describe indie bar and like people trickling in and how it was felt? Yeah. Um, one of our favorite bars, foreigner friendly bars in uh, downtown Jejushi, owned by a Korean, but he's a big rock star. And so a lot of the bands that play at his bar are foreigners. So he's quite friendly. Um, and he agreed to let us use his stage yeah. for free. This is zero at Indie Bar. Yes, zero at Indie Bar. So Indie Bar is it's definitely made for rock and roll. It's on the second floor, but it's like dark and grungy and it's got murals of all your favorite rock stars on a big drum set on stage that we did not get to move. So <laughs> <laughs> that featured like Largely in our vagina monologue-esque performance. We had ticket sales like 7,000 won, around $6 American. And that all goes to Jeju Queer Culture Festival. And then we also had a bake sale just to raise extra money. And because who doesn't want to have vagina chocolate lollipops? Yeah. Uh, more an excuse for our bakers to get vagina creative. <laughs> um, so we had some people made gingerbread with bikinis and underwear on. Oh, so that was fun. Yeah. So that was at the, at the front. And at 8 o'clock, we opened the doors. People started trickling in. We had all of our actors like in-house and backstage and wearing all black and figuring out their props. Based on the performance last year, what were you expecting from the night? 
I was expecting a full house, which we did get. Mm-hmm. Last year, I was impressed. I did. Last year, I was not expecting a full audience. And then there was, like, standing room only. So I was expecting that this time. And I was expecting it to be unprepared shit show that just magically worked out perfectly. <laughs> because that's what happened last year. Well, and the audience last year was mostly foreigners with a handful of Koreans. Yeah, so last year... So we had a few guys performing, which, as much as I hate to say it on the feminist side of things, helps kind of ease the palate, I think, yeah, for yeah. a lot of other guys, because you inevitably you get the guys going like, what about the penis monologues? Yeah, yeah, So yeah, if there's yeah. guys performing it, that kind of softens the blow to those fragile ego. So, so this time it was mostly foreigners, but then recently we've had, well, the Yemeni crisis, the war in Yemen, has created um, a lot of refugees uh, who have made their way to Jeju because of various visa loopholes. Now our foreigner community includes, I don't think there's, there was 400 originally, 500 originally. Yeah. And I think slowly people have moved on and gotten visas or didn't get the jobs, the government provided jobs or whatnot, so I'm not sure what the Yemeni population is now, but it's maybe around Much 200? smaller, 200, 200 I think. Like so, this year is different because the Yemeni weren't here last year, right? right? So, what did you see in the audience during your performance? Uh, I mean, I was focused on my performance, but I did hear a lot of like, Wah! Or like, or those kind of noises. Um, I did see a lot of people get up and I figured we'd gone a lot longer than we said the show was going to go. But turns out it was, they talked to me afterwards and they apologized, but they were like, this is too much. I can't handle this. I need to go out and have a cigarette. I can't. (laughs) So um, it was turned out as much as they get many guys going like, nope, nope, nope. I need to break. (laughs) But to be fair, they came back in after Mm. their cigarette break. Yeah, I was, you know, out in the audience in the back myself. How many guys' faces were just all shocked? Yeah, just like hundred like, percent. This is this is no wild. This is what I knew that they were on the island, but I just assumed that they wouldn't come. Yeah, because of the vagina thing. But I think they didn't even. They didn't even. That know. went way over their heads. They were like, "All right, Galen's doing a performance. We'll go support." Did they? That kn- sounds interesting. No idea. Did they know that it was like a woman's performance? No, I don't think so. <laughs> I I mean, I did my best. You know, at the time, I thought I was explaining it well. Yeah. But I was also trying to convince them to come. So <laughs> there's, in hindsight, I probably, anything that I thought that they wouldn't go see, I probably played that part down. Right. A bit. It was about a year ago that the, the Yemeni arrived. Uh, a year ago in two weeks or something mm-hmm. like that. The government and the culture here is very, very xenophobic. Mm-hmm. The foreigner community really stepped up when they first arrived in the like crisis mode of, oh my God, there's 500 people here going to end up being kicked out of their hotels and they're going to be on the streets. So let's at least give them our tents. I think that kind of created, they created a strong trust between the Yemeni and the foreigners. I think the Yemeni really were really grateful for the foreigners mm-hmm. and, and felt really included. Like we're part of the foreigner community. I don't know that all the foreigners feel that way. Mm-hmm. Mostly because this is a bunch of young guys, which in your every every refugee scenario, it's always the young guys who, you know, are the biggest population of refugees and are also the ones who are prone to getting frustrated and causing issues. And I think especially with the Muslim culture and being so close to Saudi Arabia mm-hmm. as they are, their their culture definitely doesn't prepare them for how to interact with Western women who are, you know, in the heat of the Me Too movement um, and putting up with zero bullshit right now <laughs> and feeling 
fully capable of calling it out mm-hmm. right away and expecting the men to be like, oh shit, me too, right. I should be scared of this now. I have yeah. to actually listen to this. And these guys, of course, couldn't be further away from that. And, uh, and it's, it's not their fault. They're coming from a very different, you know, they're coming from a very difficult background and everything given that they're fleeing their country due to war. But when it comes to coming to view the vagina monologues type of performance, um, <laughs> it's a little shock and punch in the face yeah. all the same go. So <laughs> my understanding of the night was that there were more Yemeni on the island than usual because there was a wedding the next morning. Oh, true. I forgot about that. Yeah. So one of the guys who's running this uh, warda, the Yemeni restaurant, mm-hmm. which is great. Fantastic. He was marrying um, a Korean woman. Yeah. The next morning. So they're all here and they all, I've made friends with a bunch of the Yemeni mm-hmm. guys. So they're like, of course, I was like, hey, feminist agenda, you should come to the Vagina Monologues or the Vajayju Nights Monologues. And they're like, okay, having zero idea what that meant, which I did not realize. I kind of thought that by saying vagina, they would have an idea. But forget, you know, maybe in their language lessons, vagina was not one of the first vocab words that they came across. I mean, can you describe some of the things happening on stage that the Yemeni were reacting to particularly? Yeah, I think we had one really great original piece by Nicole who did uh, that really condescending conversation with the doctor when you come back from traveling and you're like, hey, I should get a pap smear because I've been traveling and I've had some sexual partners and that's the healthy, responsible thing to do. And the doctor's like, shame, shame, shame. I guess I'll probe you with some cold metal duck lips. (laughs) So we got to see her kind of embarrassed reaction to the shame spouting doctor. And then we got to hear her vagina tell him what was what. Can you describe what she was? wearing. (laughs) She wore a fabulous vagina hat designed by yours truly. (laughs) Really? Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, we found it at a clothing swap, like a a pink neck pillow, one of those like airplane neck pillows. So we found it, you just wore that over the crown of your head. So it was around your cheeks and on top of your forehead. And then we think we ended up with a ping pong ball as the clitoris and some scarves to make um, hooded and the Mm -hmm. labia, all of the flappy bits. Um, Yeah. What about your monologue? Yours was quite a hit. <laughs> Last year, Anne made some notes about the internal clitoris and how nobody knows anything, or not nearly enough as we should, about the internal clitoris. I asked if I could perform it, and my friend who's here who has a really like, long history and background in drama, we had some some drinks and just decided to be really funny about it. A character emerged, and her name is Gurevil von Trubelsnout. <laughs> And her character is 90% condescension, 10% flat-out horniness. And she presented all this information about the clitoris and the parts of the vagina and what essentially the sex ed that would have been helpful to all of those teenage boys that have no idea what they're doing and just want to put their penis somewhere and the rest of us have to just deal with it because all we learned about was fallopian tubes. Uh, This was like, step one, how to locate the clitoris. mm. Step two, what to do with the clitoris once you find it. But this year was different. Yes. This year we decided to do episode two, lubrication. And it was a whole analysis of natural lubrication. My science education point on this part was to kind of tell women who are constantly going, what the hell is this goopy shit in my underwear? And am I okay? Is everything okay? Oh, it's gone. All right. I'll just worry about that next month. (laughs) And none of us know what the hell it is. And it turns out it's all directly linked to the different phases of your menstrual cycle. So that was the educational point. Mm -hmm. And then to make it funny... (laughs) I brought props. 
So the previous time we'd had a chart of a vagina with legs spread to label all of the things, like the clitoris and the labia and the hairy bits and the flappy bits and whatever. So this time I used it to demonstrate different types of natural lubrication. So I came with little dishes full of liquids of various consistencies that matched. One of them was really goopy and lumpy and boogery and that was disgusting and I threw that one onto the chart for dramatic effect which was fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) Okay so that's a little summary of the different monologues. Yeah. Afterwards, we had an after party um, at the bar, and a bunch of the guys, the many guys that I know, as soon as they saw me, they're like, Galen, Galen, come here, come here, come here, come here, we have to talk to you. And they honestly, they just giggled for like, they want to talk to you, and then just giggled for really? like 10 minutes yeah it was so funny They're like no no wait wait stay we gotta we gotta talk <laughs> um so that was like funny and then one of them was really like galen what did you invite us to <laughs> what was that <laughs> and, and he just kept being like you're crazy you're a crazy girl like talking about vaginas like, <laughs> and then proceeded to tell me like you know in his culture like you don't talk about vaginas except with your closest closest friends and i mean being a guy i'm presuming that means closest guy friends so yeah, so there was a range. There's one guy who kept asking me questions, just super curious, like, is this okay to talk about? And I did have to explain. The point of this is that it is shocking. It mm. is meant to be shocking. And because we don't talk about vaginas and we don't learn about them ever, this is the goal. So at some point we rented it up at the table. There was a guy from Australia and two guys from Yemen, some American girls and myself, a Canadian. And we all just kind of talked about what we learn in school, like during sex ed. And of course the Yemeni were like, oh, we don't have sex ed. <laughs> The Australians seem to have, like, way more... They learn about where the clitoris is. And, really? Yeah, and way more liberal than America and Canada. So that was a really cool, like, kind of cross-cultural conversation yeah. to hear about what you learn and what you don't learn. The, the Australian guy was, like, flabbergasted that we don't learn, you know, how to use a vagina. Wow. So that was a really great conversation to have, and the Yemeni guys were still overload of information, kind of like, this is a whole... Talk about a whole new world, right? This is a... Mm-hmm. A big change for them. Point of vagina monologues and anybody who does anything similar. The point is that we don't talk about vaginas enough. Mm-hmm. You know, it's this big mystery that you somehow discover once you become an adult. And yet, <laughs> and yet there's no ceremony that goes like, yeah. okay, now you're out of high school. Now you're allowed to have yeah. sex. Here's everything you know need mm-hmm. to know. Mm-hmm. That doesn't happen. So right. people just fumble their way through because they no don't one know. told them. What did the Yemeni say about their sexual experience? What I understand is that marriage is important mm-hmm. and you should wait until you're married and yeah so that's definitely the one guy was telling me that you know he dated a girl for like four or five years and they just recently kissed <gasps> yeah wow so like they were yeah i think he's young 20 so they were young but still right like that four years and they just kissed like before he left wow that was like a goodbye <laughs> like here's a kiss I don't know if there's an easy way to sum up what to take away from this. It was a learning experience for both sides. Yeah, I think it's an eye-opener for for us to learn that there's still mm-hmm. lots of places in the world where feminism and, and women's rights and what women can expect out of life and sex is still so limited compared mm-hmm. to what 
you know, we're all on the up and forward of more liberation, minus the tendencies of the Trump administration. But to remember that that is, you know, that is temporary. You know, there's nothing that says that that's in stone forever. And it's in a privileged, privileged society that we're allowed to have that. Mm Because you have to think of no matter how advanced or rich or anything a society is, once you fall into war, women's rights go right out the window. Like, Mm. that's the last thing on anybody's mind. And so how fragile that is. And it's also great to know when you're here in a small foreigner community, we forget how much we're foreigners. We're from all these different places like England and Canada and America and Australia, which are really on the grand scheme of things very similar. And so as a foreigner community, we're still a pretty homogenous group. And so to be challenged like we are when we have a huge group of people from a completely different walk of life join our group, it's it's important that we're patient and understanding, but don't compromise our own values and how difficult of a line that is to walk. And I think it's given me a little bit more patience with Koreans when they're a little bit less patient with our sure. difference. You see the taste of it a little bit, and it helps you be a little more empathetic, I think, by seeing these... See, watching these Yemeni go through this very visible culture shock. Yeah, super visible. How do you think, moving forward, do you think the, the English teacher, foreigner community, and the Yemeni refugees, do you think we're going to continue to... Like, be part of the same Yeah, community? coexist. How do you see us coexisting together on this island? Yeah. Yeah, that's a difficult one, especially because the foreigner group here is largely female. And these guys that, like, they don't mean to, but just the way they talk to you at a bar, a lot of women just immediately guards up. So I think that's probably the biggest hurdle, that they're mostly male, Mm -hmm. and then our community is mostly female. That's difficult. If we can find a way to help the Yemeni guys learn how to talk to women, Mm -hmm. because they're just, like, the idea that men and women can be friends is just so alien to them. Sure. And there's a couple of them that their English is good enough to communicate well. Yeah. And to communicate something as nuanced mm-hmm. as cultural differences. And I think that's the best way to try to talk to them and get them to kind of talk to their guys on how... I think they're doing it. I think they are. I, I think, think they're, they're doing, doing it. better, yeah. right? Yeah, well, we invited the, uh, some Yemeni to the foreigner Thanksgiving dinner, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Some of them come to the open mic. Yeah. So we're trying to actively include them. Yeah, I think we are. And I think that restaurant is a great... It's a great Wardle. way for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Warda is a great way for for them to come forward a bit in a way that's adding something to the community, mm-hmm. to Korea even, um, not just the foreigner community. That's good. Okay. Yeah. So any final observation? You know, moving the cause forward for 2019. <laughs> Theater is always a great way to start conversations. I agree. Multicultural and multigender. Thank you, Galen. I really appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks for interviewing me. I'm glad <laughs> I'm interesting enough to be interviewed. You're the most interesting. <laughs> okay. Let's finish. Some final thoughts. This experience begs the question of how do we manage these awkward culture clashes between such different people? Nothing necessarily wrong happened. It was simply a group of guys walked in not realizing it was a sexually explicit show and a group of gals who performed about sexual positivity to an unexpected audience with people from such different backgrounds. It's one thing to give this performance to a Western audience. It's shocking for even them. And then to give this performance to a Korean audience, which we know is more conservative. It's a whole other level to give this performance to an Arab male audience. It's definitely more on the extreme end. To be honest, I really don't know enough about these guys and where they're coming from. But I can definitely imagine that this experience was uncomfortable and surprising. 
I feel for them because they're having to leave their home and everything that they know. And now they're being thrown into this land of Korea and being exposed to weirdo Western foreigners. It must be hard. And what do we do? Well, we keep showing up. We keep creating opportunities to interact with each other and help when and if necessary. We listen and we keep educating ourselves. Making this podcast, I was worried about what kind of generalizations I could safely make about Arab culture. This episode showed me that there's still a lot for me to learn in this area, and I haven't done enough to fully understand what's going on. Anyway, I think at the end of the day, we can walk away from this saying, yeah, that happened, but know that we won't run away from it and we'll just keep on laughing. All right, you guys, this is Jeju Views, giving you insightful snapshots of this strange global world of Jeju Island. I'm your host, Ann Bush, out. Out.